Hello, and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a podcast about the latest new episodes of Star Trek. Today, we're looking at Season 4, Episode 12 of Star Trek Discovery, entitled Rosetta. Your hosts are two of the Academy faculty members. I'm Rodney Cup, the philosophy professor. And I'm Michael Merrick, the media professor. You can find our announcements about new episodes and other content by following us on Twitter. That's the best way. At trek underscore academy to subscribe your app to the podcast go to anchor.fm slash star trek academy and you can either subscribe right there or find links to us on other podcast sites and rodney it's a busy three weeks because this week and for the next two weeks we're doing two podcasts a week one about picard and one about discovery And listeners should be aware that next week, we're probably going to have to adjust our schedule a bit due to special circumstances. Our Picard podcast will probably be out on Monday U.S. time, maybe around supper time Monday, and our Discovery podcast probably on Wednesday next week. But uh, with that bit of housekeeping business, it's time to get rolling and to get things started. As usual, we have a brief plot outline of Rosetta. And with our summary, here is Professor Rodney Cup. Okay, well, uh, Discovery travels to that dead planet we heard about at the end of the previous episode, and it's the rocky core of what was once a gas giant that lost its atmosphere to some cataclysmic bombardment a thousand years ago. And when they get there, they find giant fossilized bones and ancient 10C ruins, including a structure that is still intact. And that turns out to be a nursery. And while they're there, they also interact with these exotic hydrocarbons, which turn out to be 10C pheromones. Now, these pheromones allow them to feel and even experience what the 10C felt and experienced on the day of the bombardment centuries ago. Well, they take samples of the 16 different hydrocarbons they find back to Discovery, and they have 25 hours now to find a way to use them to communicate with the 10C before Earth and Navarre are bombarded by debris from the DMA. Clock's ticking. Meanwhile, Booker and Tarka decide to enter 10C's hyperfield by attaching themselves to Discovery and going in with it but that would require creating a blind spot in Zora's sensors. And the only way to do that would be to install a patch in engineering aboard Discovery. So both of them beam over and while Tarka installs this patch, Booker arranges to meet General Ndoye, who believes the trip to the 10C homeworld was a waste of time. Anyway, she agrees to help them in their bid to locate and disable the DMA's power source but when Booker returns to his ship, he discovers that Tarka has taken Reno hostage. And that's the episode. And thank you very much. Before we talk about the philosophy and the themes and the morals to the story, as usual, we're going to talk about a few things in the episode uh, uh, that, uh, that we noticed. Uh, we do generally try to avoid the Easter eggs that lots of other articles have talked about, mostly at least. And I have to say, Rodney, that there are some interesting messages in this episode we'll get to in a bit. But to be honest, there just aren't 
too many things this time around that at least I noticed for this section of the podcast. We usually talk here about the things that relate to the broader Star Trek continuity or the story arc. And this week, a lot of the action is down on the planet. And there, to me, at least, there just aren't quite so many connections this time. We do find out in this episode, as you said, that the Tennessee come from a world that had been a gas giant, but the atmosphere was stripped away by an asteroid bombardment a thousand years ago. So the 10C apparently evolved as organisms in the gas giant atmosphere. So uh, free-floating organisms in the gas giant atmosphere. And while it's interesting, it's not really a completely new idea in science and fiction. Right. I mean, new for Star Trek, maybe. But I remember Carl Sagan talking about this kind of possibility in that PBS series Cosmos uh, quite a while ago. Do you remember that, Michael? Oh, yes. Yes. 1980. In fact, uh, you called my attention to an article on trekmovie.com on their website that speculated about uh, Cosmos being an inspiration. I replied to their Twitter post pointing out that nine years before the original Cosmos, Arthur C. Clarke wrote a novella called A Meeting with Medusa, in which creatures are found in the atmosphere of Jupiter that are like jellyfish floating in the clouds. Interesting. Gas giants are believed to have rocky cores way down beneath the atmosphere, but the pressure, while the atmosphere is there, like Jupiter or or Saturn, the pressure Mm -hmm. is so intense, it would be way stronger pressure than the deepest ocean trench on earth and having the 10c apparently evolve this way as entities in the atmosphere of a gas giant as you said is something we haven't seen in star trek before unless maybe you count the space going morphing jellyfish in encounter at farpoint oh right right i have to say i'm kind of at a loss if we're understanding this correctly I'm at a loss as to how intelligent airborne creatures, if that's what they are, could become technological, even build basic buildings, not to mention those Dyson rings around the star. Uh, They're way ahead of us technologically. I'm not convinced even the Federation and Burnham's time could do that. Just the raw materials needed would be humongous. It would be way more than a a planet's mass, Mm -hmm. many planets masses. And so that that is way in the future of us technologically, if it'll ever be possible. Plus, I'm not convinced that even a very heavy natural bombardment of asteroids could strip away the atmosphere of, for example, a Jupiter or Saturn, for example. Yeah, not sure how that would work. Really, about the only other continuity detail I noticed to mention in this part of our podcast is right near the end. Adira and Detmer are talking in the lounge. And did you notice what Detmer was drinking? I did not. They did tell us, but it was blue. What beverages in the Star Trek universe are blue? Well, the answer to that question is Romulan ale, assuming that after the destruction of Romulus, Romulan ale is still being made. But you remember Mm. Romulan ale sometimes makes people argumentative and is generally after the fact not considered to be a good thing to drink 
Kayla was not argumentative. She was very no. mellow and things. So I don't know. But uh, like I said, there, there just aren't too many other of these continuity or story arc things to note at this point of our podcast. Maybe by design. I mean, you know, I think going down on that planet, they wanted to do something new to Star Trek. So that's okay. We can just move on to the underlying meanings in this episode and talk about any messages that the writers or the producers wanted to convey to us. What do you think is going on here, Michael? Well, I think that the meaning in this episode doesn't come from, if you will, the main part of the story about them being down on the planet. I think the Mm -hmm. meaning comes from the B stories. And particularly those are about stress, post-traumatic stress, and about people just generally not always being all right. Uh, And some of that happens down on the planet too. The hydrocarbons are really freaking people out. But up on the ship, Reno talks to Adira and specifically says that everyone is kind of a mess, whatever they look like on the outside. And Reno makes an allusion to Detmer needing counseling in a previous season for post-traumatic stress. And in that conversation with Adira, Detmer mentions that uh, also. Coming back from the planet, Detmer apologizes for uh, talking about her family life during an important part of that that mission. Burnham tells her it's okay to not be in, in complete control now and then. And Saru adds that our experiences, including past stress and bad things, make us who we are. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you something, Michael, about this. Um, Burnham seems pretty easygoing and kind of forgiving here and in a way that I think contrasts with earlier Star Trek series in which I'm sure we've heard captains tell their subordinates that they have to be on their toes at all times, at least in certain situations. And this just seems to me like a kinder and gentler Star Trek. And it just, that's just, If I'm right about that, I think this fits our time when all of us could take it, need to take it a little easier on ourselves, especially caregivers, right? Yeah. And we've, we've mentioned many times that this season's discovery story arc and scripts were created at a time when COVID was happening. We didn't have vaccinations yet. And a lot of people were very heavily stressed out. I think there are a lot of things in this season that at least were inspired by that, whether or not they were directly intended to address it. So I I think that's true. I mean, different captains, different series are all products of their time. And we're at a time now when this issue of, you know, are people okay? How are they handling things? Mm -hmm. What do they have bottled up inside, regardless of their external appearance? I think, I think that is a, a message and, a, and an issue for our times. And I, I think it's wonderful that Culber can be vulnerable to his captain and, and admit that he's not okay. And, you know, instead of getting admonished for that, Burnham is, you know, empathizes and tells him, you know, it's all right. <laughs> How could you be okay? And, yeah. and Burnham is turning into a, a kind of a wise captain before our eyes. Her experiences also are affecting her, as they note here in this episode, experiences good and bad. There were a few other things that fit this theme also. Rillick talked to Dr. Harai, I think is how it's pronounced, 
about his bedside manner. Yeah. Because he yeah. has this habit of saying kind of blunt things that come across as downers. I don't think he means them as downers, but come across as downers. And she made the point that that's really not what the crew needs right now. Yeah. And so he's, it's kind of funny, but we see him attempting to address <laughs> that. Reno, I think, really states the message that no one's always okay. And it takes a lot of strength to admit when you're not and seek help. Yeah. And I think that is a message to the audience saying, if you're not okay, you need to admit it to yourself and seek help. You know, I was thinking about Burnham's speculation is that the 10C created the hyperfield and presumably the also the DMA because of their past trauma of loss of their homeworld and their mm. need for safety. And so as an entire species, they may not be okay. That wow. may be part of what's going on here. That's a good point. I mean, that might be one thing they can use to uh, connect with them. But I guess, yeah, so if there's a message here, it's, you know, we need to recognize our our limitations. We're not, we're not machines. We're not superhuman. And, and we need to take care of ourselves, right? Take care of ourselves and take care of others, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think I have anything else in this section. Do you have any yeah. final thoughts about yeah, this episode, I mean, Michael? And what we've talked about so far, it's kind of the nature of the episode. And in a way, it's kind of an unusual episode that in the previous sections of our podcast, we didn't have that much to talk about. I do have, yes, some final thoughts. And Me too. I am sorry. I kind of feel like a broken record. Again, this week, we have an episode that is relatively filled with plot devices. Mm -hmm. And a plot device, to, to refresh your memory, is an assertion or a situation that's needed to drive the plot, but it's not necessarily explained or justified. It's just an assertion that is stated as, as a fact. Books ship wants to play Millennium Falcon, right? <laughs> right. Wants to perch on Discovery's hull while they get into the 10C blob. But the plot device is you can't just do that. You have to change or, or if you will, patch Zora's programming so she doesn't detect them. And also the plot device is you have to go inside Discovery to do that kind of manually hands-on. Yeah, and Tarka has these devices that he just produces that they can wear that will prevent detection aboard Discovery. Yeah, and and also notice, by the way, that I'm not, did, did I miss it? We didn't see anything about how Book and Tarka fared as they were transiting the barrier. Apparently, no, they also didn't. they also figured out how to bubble surf and didn't have much damage or anything like that. But I mean, wouldn't Zora know that somebody just reprogrammed her? I find that hard to believe. I mean, Zara is sentient. She should have a very intimate awareness of what's going on with her program. Well, that's what we learned in a previous episode this season. In fact, there was that one episode in which she was having trouble coping with all the information she was getting about the ship systems. Remember that episode? Yeah. yeah. So, so I find that a little hard to believe. And actually, it's even a plot device that Reno when she saw Tarka, did not immediately hit her comm badge and call security. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just kind of stood there looking at each other for a few mm -hmm. seconds, but somehow he took her prisoner unexpectedly. Yeah. I, maybe he used that device that we saw on Parathia to paralyze the changeling back in, in episode eight, I think it was. 
maybe. Boy, it would have been nice if they had set that up by just a, a momentary scene of them picking up gear or putting weapons in. They probably don't have pockets in Star Trek, but you know, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, kind of out of nowhere. You know, I just wanted to mention this, Michael. It, it's almost like Tarka. If he was a character in Lower Decks, he would be constantly pulling objects out from behind him and saying, <laughs> here's something we can use to get on Discovery undetected. Like the cartoon characters of years before. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so last week, I was actually kind of critical of the writers for this entire side mission episode to a planet that just happens to be nearby the blob to see if just maybe possibly there would be anything there that would, would tell us more about the 10C. Yeah, I was right there with you. If they had told us last week that this little planet is around a star that has artificial Dyson-like rings around it, that would have been a different story. I think that would have made a lot of sense. Well, it makes you wonder what those Dyson rings are doing there. At least it does me. I mean, what are they doing there in the first place? I, what By that, I mean, what role are they playing in this narrative? Why, why put them there? I don't know. Maybe it's just a validation that there might possibly maybe be something of interest on this planet orbiting the star. But if we didn't have only two episodes left, I'd say, well, now we need a side quest to the Dyson rings <laughs> right. to see if there's anything there that might possibly maybe be something that tells us more about the the 10C because, you know, side quests are us in Star Trek. Right. Or in, in right. Discovery, at least this season. Yeah, they, they need to get to that hyperfield next episode. We've waited long enough. It, it's time. Yeah, two episodes left. Unless we're going to have a cliffhanger so the story isn't over in two weeks, they need to get there. They need to develop the final, the final part of the story arc. Couple other things here. Uh, Tarka is still manipulating Book, and Book still doesn't see through it. It's worthy that Book is willing to do anything to save lives, sure. but Tarka is getting him to do things that aren't likely to be the best way to save lives. It's like the gaslighting we see in political rhetoric just all the time. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, Tarka is is very effective at it, and he's just continuing what we've seen in several previous uh, episodes. So we're kind of down to the wire on this season of Discovery, only two episodes left. And like you said, maybe next week we'll finally get our firm answers about the 10C and their motivations. And of course, see how Burnham solves the problem of, of the 10C. What do you think will happen in these last two episodes, Robbie? Well, okay. So I have an idea, but there's the episode presents us with this problem. I think it's going to sort of drive the rest of the season, but this problem has troubled me for a long time. And let, let me explain myself as a philosopher. I, you know, I think in, I try to think in terms of reasons and evidence for believing things. And, and that applies to my thinking about ethics also, when we're trying to convince others that a certain kind of action is right or wrong. I just find it natural to present reasons and evidence and to avoid other forms of persuasion, like you know, manipulating people and coercing people, the kinds of things that Tarka does. But anyway, <laughs> the big worry right now in Discovery is that the 10C might know what the DMA is doing to sentient life in the galaxy 
and won't care. Right? This comes up at least twice in this episode. And I think it's natural for most human beings anyway to, to be morally motivated by certain facts to perform or refrain from performing certain actions. But the facts about the DMA and what it's doing to sentient life in the galaxy may not move the 10C. And then what? Right? And you know, I'm thinking about this. I can't help but think about how this relates to the situation in Ukraine right now. I mean, you follow the news. I mean, it seems clear to me that this invasion of Ukraine is completely morally unjustified. And yet it continues, right? Facts about what is happening to the people of Ukraine haven't given Russia's leaders a reason to stop. And it's and it's kind of horrifying if you think about it. You know, I think it is always easier to, what term should we use, discriminate against groups that, that you don't know, strangers. Great point. Um, yeah, we see yeah. that we see that a lot. Not necessarily at this point ascribing bad motives to the Ten C, mm-hmm. but that that may be part of it. You know, they're not us. Yeah, right. You know, there's going to be some damage, but we're us, and this is what we need, and we need to do this to address our goals, keep ourselves safe, whatever it right. is. I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up. Peter Singer talks about our ethical concern for other life is this sort of expanding circle, you know, where at first we we had moral concerns about the people in our own tribe and that became our own city, our own country, all human beings. And and now we have moral concerns for non-human animals. And so the worry is, has the 10 C's concern for life expanded outward to include not just themselves, but even other species. Now, the good news here, I think, is this is Star Trek. And at least in the original series, we're led to expect that civilizations that are more advanced than the Federation would be basically benevolent. So I'd be very surprised if it turns out that the Tensi are evil. I I don't know what they're going to do here. I'm looking forward to finding out what's going to happen. But I'd be very surprised if they're evil. The problem is going to be connecting with them, right? Connection is the theme of the season so far. And we're going to return to it in these remaining episodes. I'm sure of that. And at the end of the episode, something Burnham said seemed very important. She says that empathy is the only way to connect, to find common ground for communication. So I think the key to connecting with the 10C is going to be the fact that the DMA is about to do to Earth and Navarre what happened to the 10C homeworld. They just need to be able to communicate that fact to the 10C in a way that they'll understand. Given that the 10C, I think they're very, maybe overly cautious given their history and might consider discovery a threat, right? Yeah. And I think the connection, they need to find ways to personalize it. You know, the point I made a minute ago, you know, we, we see that here. It's easy to discriminate against anonymous groups of people, but when it's personalized, when it comes down to a person and a person maybe who is being treated unfairly, it is much easier to get people to respond. I mean, the people that lose their homes in a tornado, for example, or an earthquake, a lot of people respond and and send gifts through charitable organizations to support the recovery. And on the one hand, they're anonymous, but they're going through troubles that we can relate to. Mm. And so the common ground for communication, getting them to relate, I think is, is Burnham's challenge. 
Absolutely. And, and we'll see if the writers perceive things the same way we do mm-hmm. as they structure these final two episodes. So I what do you think is going to happen? Well, I have decided, and maybe I'm not a very nice guy for saying this, but I'm, I've decided that I hope Tarkas somehow gets to that alternate reality mm. and finds himself to be completely alone with no way back. That would be just desserts for a guy who is not really a very nice guy. Mm. And it would be literary irony, I think. <laughs> As I noted above, as a species, I, I suspect that the 10C may not be okay based on their past trauma. And I was thinking, what if the bombardment of their planet was not a natural occurrence? It wasn't just a, a, Interesting. a meteor storm, asteroid storm, batch of comets that somebody did it to them. And as I speculated last week, what if there is another big bad out there between Mm -hmm. galaxies. Maybe the DMA is collecting power that the 10C desperately need for their self-defense and they're regretfully willing to accept some collateral damage for the sake of self-preservation. That's not how Book would see it, of course, but that might be their perspective. And what if the story doesn't end in two weeks? I think it would be an interesting premise for next season to have Discovery out there beyond the galactic barrier, completely on its own, except for the Millennium Falcon, uh, oh, uh, except for book ship. Right. <laughs> and it would kind of be a reprise of Voyager. They'd be cut off from Starfleet completely on yes, their own. And it could be an interesting setup for next season. It wouldn't be so much the galaxy-wide threat because they're outside the barrier, but it could be you know, the threat to discovery and and a challenge. So I haven't heard any hints about that. That's just my thought as to one possibility for next season. And I also haven't heard anywhere specifically that the thrilling finale in the next two weeks is going to be a two-parter. That's my guess based mm. on past seasons. So my guess is that we should look for a big cliffhanger at the end of next week's discovery episode. I think that's a pretty good, pretty good guess. And that's an interesting idea you've got there about where to take discovery that's never been done before in Star Trek. And, and that, that would be, that would be interesting. Um, Star Trek has a knack for reinventing itself. So, you know, we'll see where they take it, but for now, I think that's going to do it. We thank you for joining us this week. Now, next week, you're going to get two more podcasts from us. The first about Picard, and then a day or so later, one about Discovery. And you can keep track of our new episodes and other announcements on our Twitter feed. That's at Trek underscore Academy. Or you can subscribe directly at anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next time.